So we're spending a few weeks looking at some of the basics of what it means to be a Christian. It, it, it occurred to me when we were doing this, what's going on, what in the world's going on with our world, that maybe a lot of us don't really know the basics of being a Christian. How do I become a Christian? What do I do once I'm a Christian? What does it mean to be baptized? And so we're talking about a whole bunch of those things. And if you're jumping in for the first time today, welcome. If you're jumping in with this online, welcome. Uh, we, we spent the last few weeks talking about the prodigal son. The prodigal son and the father and, and what the message that I, that I used a number of times was that in that parable that Jesus taught, taught God is the father and we're the prodigal sons and daughters. And so often we don't like to think of ourselves that way. But in reality, that's the reason that, that Jesus shared that parable. We get to see the loving heart of God through the father and we get to see the reality of ourselves as the prodigal sons and daughters. And so then like as an exclamation point, and God is just good the way that he plans this stuff. Uh, as an exclamation point, last Sunday, after our two services, we had about 20 people that stepped out into the water and professed their faith in Jesus as their Savior, stepped out in obedience, and were baptized. Yeah, woo is right. It was an awesome celebration. And so it leads us to what we're going to talk about today, and maybe the best way to introduce this. I don't know if you're a golfer or not. I say that I'm a golfer. I have golf clubs, but I'm not a very good golfer. So there's this word that occurs in about 50 swing the clubs. In my mind, I hit a golf ball and I say, I'm going to take a mulligan, a do-over. Because usually I swing the club with the best of intentions and the ball goes wherever it wants to go. And I think I just need to do it over because I can do better than that. It's why we have erasers on pencils. It's why we can back up and scrub things off of computers. It's why you can change it. You can get started on a painting. And if you don't like it, you can paint over it and you get a do-over. We really have found a lot of ways to have mulligans in life. But see, God, he's got a much better plan. God's got a much better way of offering us a future than just a mulligan. It's more than just a do-over. It's better than a do-over. The Bible talks about how we become a new creation. And last week, we witnessed these 20 people, or almost 20 people, who submitted their lives to Jesus and in a very real way became a new creation. Titus 3.5 says to be a new creation is this. He, that's God, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. When you think of the, the prodigal son who had, who had lost everything and had no idea what to do other than to go crawling back to his father, asking for mercy and to have a job as a servant. And the father welcomes him and puts on the best robe and a ring and sandals and he throws a party for him. God's idea of a new creation is something like that. We don't always understand it because it isn't the way that we think. And, and so last week in baptism, as Jesus is, is telling this story of the prodigal son who comes home and gets a new life, a fresh start. Last week in baptism, what we saw is this new life. The old us goes into the water. And there's a very different us that comes out of the water. There's something very different, the Bible says. The old us dies with Christ, is what Paul tells us. And the person that comes out of the water is a new creation in Christ. And so I'm going to talk about that phrase, in Christ. What does that mean in a little bit? But I want to share the experience 
as much as I can of being there, when someone breathes their last breath as the old them and goes underwater and comes out of the water, not as their old self all over again, but as a new creation, those moments are some of the most awesome, most emotional, some incredible moments of all of ministry. Because everybody has their own understanding, their own idea of what it's going to be like. But for all of us, it actually ends up being a little bit different. And so our part when we come out of the waters of baptism is not to resurrect the old us. Our part is to live and to become that new creation in Christ. So if you've not been baptized here, let me tell you how, what, what happens is we get as many people who can to gather to celebrate because it is a cause for celebration. And then we tell everyone, come all out in the water together. I'm going to ask you three questions before you're baptized. First question is, do you believe in God the Father as your creator and redeemer? And hopefully they'll say yes. Second question is, do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. And do you believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? And it is only through Him that you are going to be enabled to live the life that you are claiming to to live today. Yes. And then we baptize them. Because there's got to be this profession of faith. There's got to be this understanding that the new creation doesn't happen because of us. It happens because of God. And so what I want to do is I want to share one of those moments. And we've had a lot of them around here. But we asked permission from Adam if he would uh, allow us to share his baptism with us. So, Peggy, would you roll that video from last Sunday? I could hold on. I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe, oh, I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never let these walls down, you have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. you have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go Pretty awesome, huh, Adam? Yeah. What you witnessed there was very literally the first breath of a new life. 17 or 18 people took that first breath last week. The first breath of a new life, and and that breath, just like when God breathed life into Adam, came straight from God. The old person goes into the water, and a new creation comes out of the water, and that new creation is given a new life in Christ. 
Now, everybody has a different experience of baptism. The expectations are different. The, the experience is different. But the result is the same for all of us. For all of us, we're given a new life. Peter, uh, talking about uh, Acts 2.38, Peter says this, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the waters of holy baptism, we leave our old self behind along with the death of our will. And we come out of that water as a new creation, a new us comes out of that water, all thanks to Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work in us. Our experience of baptism might be different, but the result is always the same. And baptism begins a wonderful transformation that should be completely radical in the life of a believer. I've had people say, you know, I got baptized and it didn't really work. Nothing about me changed. And I said, your baptism worked perfectly. God did exactly what God promised he would do. It's that you didn't change. God made you into a new creation, but you went back to being your old self. And that's what happens with us so often is that the part that we skip out on is that we, we choose not to live in Christ and we choose not to allow Christ to live in us. We leave our old selves behind and we're washed clean. Talking about radical transformation, one of the most radical transformations in the entire New Testament is a guy named Saul. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. It says this, Saul, while uttering threats with every breath, was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. This guy is a, is a faithful Jewish man. He's been raised to be a rabbi, and he has a murderous heart. He is so zealous for his religion, he wants to, he wants to punish people who don't follow. He goes to the high priest. He requests letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the, their cooperation in the local synagogue and the arrest of any followers of the way. That was what the Christian church was called. See, he wanted to bring back men and women to Jerusalem in chains. Stephen had already been stoned to death, and Saul was there nodding his approval, saying, this is the way we need to take care of it. We just need to stop this thing where it is. Goes on, he says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus. The one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. That road to Damascus moment was the beginning of a radical transformation in Saul's life. He, he is one of the most, most powerful signs of hope that you and I have out of the New Testament outside the life of Jesus. Saul in an instant goes from being feared persecutor of Christians in the church and a murderer all in the name of his religion, to being the most active, effective evangelist, missionary, and church planter that the Christian church has ever known. Twenty-seven of the books in the New Testament, or there are twenty-seven books in the New Testament, thirteen or fourteen, scholars are disagreeing on one of them, were written by Paul. Half of the early church, the books written to the early church, were written by the same man. This guy who had made it his life mission to destroy the church, he was a religious zealot. And the reason that Paul's writing is so passionate is that Paul was passionate. Paul was a passionate guy, and he was passionate because he was changed. He was changed by Jesus. Have you had that moment? Have you had that literal 
or figurative moment of dying to yourself and coming alive in Christ? Have you been changed by Jesus? Are you a different person today than you were before you gave your life to him? See, Paul was a new creation. He writes uh, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Paul is speaking about what he knows. He has lived through this. He had that moment on the road to Damascus where his goal was to go gather up all the Christians that he could and bring them back for punishment in Jerusalem. And yet what Jesus did was began a radical transformation in his life. He's sharing the truth of his own testimony. In the ESV, I love the way it says it here, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That little word in makes all the difference. That little word in Christ makes all the difference. I have been completely captivated by the depth of that word over the last week as I've been studying this. If we're going to talk about our lives as a Christian, if we're going to talk about transformation, if we're going to talk about being a new creation, we've got to get a solid grip on what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ means that we are all in for Christ. All of us, completely, our whole being is in For Christ, to be in Christ means we've given our hearts and our minds and our will and our lives and even our finances to Christ. To be in Christ means that we're more concerned about living for him than for us. Being all in isn't easy. I don't care what you're all in for. It's not what comes naturally for us to live fully for someone else. And yet to be in Christ is to live fully for him. The moment that we move in that direction, the moment we make that decision, the moment we talk about it at home, this is where I'm going, this is what we're going to do as a family, the world, and by the world I mean Satan, throws something in your path, throws something in my path, throws something in our path to change our direction, and, and, and suddenly we feel like we're all in for that new thing. Being all in for Christ isn't easy. It's a lifetime job. So let's talk about being in For a bit. You stop and think about it. We're all in fully for something. We're all in it for something. And in fact, we've got all kinds of things that we pour ourselves into. What consumes your thinking? What what is it that the majority of your thoughts stir around? Uh, Is it your job? Then you're all in for your job. Is it concern about the finances? You're all in for your finances. Is it concern about COVID or the government or the, uh, the uh, economy? Then you're all in for that. We're all in for something. What are you in for? What cause are you all in for? See, the world, the world wants to distract us from Jesus by telling us we've got to pick sides and be all in for a cause. I've gotten five text messages in the last few days from people I don't know who have this wonderfully friendly introduction asking me to sign their petition to stand against the Supreme Court over their decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. They want me to be all in for their cause. They don't even know who I am. The world is big on that stuff. What do you look to to count on when you're alone? When you're awake in the middle of the night, when you're struggling with life or an illness, when you're struggling with confidence and and purpose, what do you look for to carry you forward? That's what you're all in for. For a moment, just think about it. The profound difference to being all in our phones rather than in Christ. 
You read the studies out there, we spend more time interacting with our telephones than we do with real people. We spend more time with that little 3-inch by 5-inch or 3-inch by 6-inch device that we spend so much money on. We are more all in for that and whatever happens there than we are for the real people that are around us. What about being all in for your computer rather than all in for reading your Bible? Maybe you're in Facebook or in Snapchat or in TikTok or in Instagram rather than in God's Word. Maybe it's that you're all in for an agenda or a priority or something else than God's will for your life. See, we get all in on things, but it's not as always that we're all in for Christ. If you think about where our affections and attentions and energies go, maybe you're a Wildcat fan and you cheer for the Wildcats or it's the Cardinals or the Jaguars or whatever your school team is. Maybe you're all in for the Vikings or the Wild or the Twins, but you cheer for Jesus as loudly and with the enthusiasm and the same passion that you do your favorite sports team. Who are you really all in for? Does your life, your actions and your words show what we're in for? See, the Bible says when we become a new creation, we're a new creation in Christ. And even though we're going to continue to be sinners, our lives should show some change. See, we're so quick in our country these days. We've been so divided. And, and you didn't choose it and I didn't choose it. The choice was thrown at us and we've been told for years that we have to make a decision. We're so quick to be all in for the Republicans or the Democrats or whatever party you want to identify with. Long before we're all in for Jesus. You hear me say all the time, if people know you for politics more than they know you for your relationship with Jesus, something's wrong. Because it's so easy to be in for politics. Why? Because we're desperate for a savior. We're desperate for somebody to fix the mess that we've made. So we look to politicians, to a president, to a political party to save us when our savior has always been right in front of us and he's inviting us to live in him. Jesus alone and no other can save us. And yet we're so slow to be all in for Christ. When we commit to living in all in Christ, it is a direct response to God's love for us. You think about the prodigal son, and Jesus didn't talk about it. You think about how the prodigal son was different after he settled into life at home with his father when he went back. He knew unconditional love when he lived there. He just didn't recognize it. But when he went back and he saw that unconditional love and his father lived it out for him, I bet you anything that young man was changed. And we think about living in Christ and that it's really our response to God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Paul talks about it in Colossians 3. It's kind of Paul's playbook for Christian living. Uh, he says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He, he's writing this to a world that's politically divided, had uh, occupying armies all around them. They had all kinds of their own problems. Set your sights on heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We die to ourselves in the waters of baptism, and we're raised to a new life in Christ. We're raised to a new life with our sights set on the realities of heaven, the truth of heaven, and the promise of heaven. It makes all the stuff that's going on in this world seem seem pretty small in comparison. When we are truly in Christ, we're no longer drawn to the things of this world. 
we can know that we're not truly in Christ if you want to test yourself. And we've not truly given Jesus a place in our hearts, in our heads, to be fully in us when we're more worried about the things of this world, the events, the politics, the illness, the people, than we are Jesus. We've chosen to live for ourselves, not for God, when that's our focus. If God and his word dwell in us, then the world is going to see it. But if God and his word do not dwell in us, there's no way the world around us is going to see it. So Paul again helps out Galatians 2.20. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Here's a guy who uses that word crucified carefully. He has been the one who has seen to the death of people. And he's the one who was around when Jesus died on the cross. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is opening our eyes to the new creation life God has given us. It's no longer you and I who live. It's Christ who lives in us. That's radical stuff. Paul lived through that in a way most of us will never understand, and so he wrote about it. He wrote about it so that we could read it and we could enter into his experience and see Jesus through him. So as a follower of the teaching of Jesus, as one who has accepted God's free gift to you in Jesus, now not free to him because it cost him his life, but that gift of forgiveness and salvation in his name, we become a new creation. We become a new creation when we give our life to Jesus. And as that new creation, Jesus wants to live in your heart. He wants to live in your mind, in your thoughts, in your actions. Jesus wants to live in every part of your life. And, and so we've got to decide, are we going to be somebody who simply accepts God's gift of forgiveness and remains unchanged? Or are we going to say, God, thank you for doing for me what you did in Jesus. And we're going to become the new creation that Jesus died for us to be. So we've all got to ask this question and answer this question. What are we going to invest ourselves in in this life? What is it that you are going to pour yourself into? Because it's going to be something. What will you give yourself to? What will you give the best of yourself to? What will you pour your best time and your best attention, your best affections and the majority of your finances into today? What will you give more time than your phone or TV or computer or iPad? Or maybe you won't. Maybe in the reality what you realize is that your phone has become your God. And you're not willing to live outside of it. You're living in your phone rather than in Christ. See, all the time we, we say around here that there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. That God sets divine appointments with his people. And that's why we're all here. It's why you're watching us online this morning. So that the question is, will you live all in for Jesus? And some of us are still at the point where the answer is no. I believe in him. I'll give my life to him. I'll accept him as my savior. But I'm not going to be all in for Jesus. I'm not ready for all of that yet. That's your answer. Then why? What is preventing you from living fully for Jesus? Is it something that you're afraid of? Is it something you're not sure of? What is it about the things of this world that will always disappoint us? That we continue to pour ourselves into them, but shy away from being all in for Jesus? God sent us Jesus so that we could be able to live not in the guilt of our sin, 
but in the truth of our forgiveness. But do we live in Jesus and do we allow Jesus to live in us? Jesus literally gave his life for you. So will you give Jesus that place in your life that he might live in you and you in him? That's what we're talking about. That's God's plan for each one of us. That's what we were created for. Wonder what your purpose is? That's it. The purpose is that we're created to live in Christ. And God sent us Jesus that Christ could live in us. But will we make that choice? Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the celebration of baptisms that we got to be a part of last Sunday. God, thank you for the men and the women and the young people who stepped forward and made a commitment to you, a a public proclamation of you as their Lord and Savior. God, help that to be a, a living lesson for all of us, that what you want, God, is not to be in the background of our lives. You don't want to be like a radio that we turn on just to keep us from getting bored. You want us to be the cent- you want to be the center of our lives. You want to be the focus of our lives so much so that you say over and over and over in scripture that your desire is that we live in Christ and that Christ live in us. God help us to be believers who understand what that word means to live in And then, God, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be believers who live in Christ and who welcome Christ to live in us. And then, God, let us show the world the new creation that we are, not because of us, but because of you, that you might have the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, here's the deal. You know what? God sent us Jesus that we would not have to live in our sin and that we would have to die in our sin, but that we could be saved from our sin. Because of Jesus, we all have the opportunity for a new life, which is way better than a mulligan on the golf course. Promise, I promise you, I know. What we have the opportunity is to be a new creation in Christ. And so the decision that you've got is, are, are you willing to just accept the forgiveness that God's given you? Or are you willing to make Jesus the Lord of your life and to allow him to live in you and for you to live in him? That, that's really where all of us have to make a decision. Jesus came and lived as one of us and died for our sins and God raised him from the grave so that he might live in us and we might live in and for him. What are you going to do this week? Maybe you've got an opportunity to talk to somebody else that doesn't even understand what that means. What a great thing to be able to say, look, at I know who Jesus is. I'm, I'm working it out, but let me tell you about him.